This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the The Big Big Dinosaur Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast. where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week, our dinosaur of the day is Pachycephalosaurus, and we have a bunch of news. Before we get into that, I just want to say a big thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help us keep it going, then please check out our page at patreon.com slash inodino. Garrett just ordered a new batch of stickers, so they are ready and waiting once we hit our 200 a month mark. Yep, the stickers are pretty awesome. They're slightly larger than our previous stickers that none of you have seen. (laughs) (laughs) So first in the news, good news. Jurassic World The Exhibition is on the move from Melbourne and will be stopping at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia this fall. If they could just come a few thousand miles closer (laughs) to California, that'd be great. But anyway, it'll be on display from November 25th through April of next year. We've talked about this exhibit before and how you can pretend you're on Isla Nublar. Iwa? I don't know. Isla? Isla? Isla. It seems like Isla, because I think that's how you actually say it in Spanish, but in any event. And how you can pretend you're on Isla Nublar and interact with dinosaurs. So tickets go on sale September 10th, and we're really hoping that their next stop after this is California, or at least somewhere on the West Coast, but maybe we can make a trip out to Philly. Maybe. Philadelphia is a lot closer than Melbourne, at least. Yes. (laughs) Much easier to get to. Yeah. Next up, Johnny Wu and others from National Taiwan University have found a new tectonic plate, sort of. (laughs) So right now there are at least four plates that meet just north of Australia near the Philippines. And they're the Pacific, the Indo-Australian, the Philippine Sea Plate, and the Eurasian Plate. And there are possibly others if you want to subdivide some of these plates since they don't have nice clean boundaries. So Wu and his colleagues reconstructed plate tectonics in the region going back 52 million years using previously published data on where seas were throughout that period and using some new data from seismic tomography. They say that, quote, East Asia is a known global slab graveyard, end quote, and an area equivalent to one quarter of the world's ocean area has subducted or been pushed under other plates since about 50 million years ago. Ultimately, they ended up with 28 reconstructed slabs that they think were there at one point or another within the last 52 million years, some of which very little is known about, and this research is really the first time people have talked about a few of these plates. The craziest thing is that 
the way they found most of these is with that seismic tomography. And basically you use either earthquakes or explosions to measure the time it takes for things to move around, similar to doing a CT scan, but you're doing it within the earth. And you're not just looking at a reduction in transmission, you're looking at how long it takes for it to get places. And using that, they can actually see the plates in the Earth's mantle. And they've even mapped out where they currently are within the mantle. They're basically getting pushed really deep down and kind of getting reabsorbed into the nebulous blob of semi-solid rock that's in the mantle. So it's pretty cool. I saw another picture that NASA did of a plate that's underneath the North American plate. It's pretty cool technology. I'm hoping that they can figure out a way to go back a little bit further because 52 million years ago isn't quite dinosaur era, even though most of the news called it dinosaur era <laughs> just because everybody likes dinosaurs. But if they can get a little more information about plate tectonics that were going on during the Mesozoic, that could help us understand a little bit of maybe how the dinosaurs moved or you know where their motion was restricted if plates were getting subducted and things like that. Maybe even a little bit of information about volcanism. Yeah, that would be cool. Next, big congrats to the Perot Museum in Texas, which is celebrating the 10-year anniversary of discovering the Pachyrhinosaurus Peritorum, which was found in Alaska. And if you want to learn more about Pachyrhinosaurus, we talk about it at length in episode 44. Yeah, that's one of the that was one of the most requested dinosaurs before we covered it. It's a pretty interesting one. Big deal in Canada. Yeah. Especially Alberta. I imagine it's a big deal in Texas, too. Yeah. Next up, Bloomberg has a behind-the-scenes video of the Creature Technology Workshop in Melbourne, Australia. And they're the group that made the awesome robotic dinosaurs for walking with dinosaurs, as well as the giant King Kong for, like, a play with King Kong and a rideable dragon for a live version of How to Train Your Dragon that looked pretty cool. And they also made the giant stuffed animals for the Sochi Olympics. And they also made the Jurassic World the exhibition. That's moving to Philadelphia. Yep. And with that, they created an Indominus Rex and a really neat Parasaurolophus that they show in the video where... Compared with some other more simple animatronics that usually just kind of open their mouth and close their mouth and sometimes tilt their head a little bit or occasionally blink, this one can move its eyes, its nostrils, its neck, its arms, its legs, its mouth, really everything. And most of the things like their neck have several axes of rotation because they have really complex robotics and a hydraulic skeleton that's programmed to move realistically and it takes them about a year to make just a single dinosaur. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. In the video, they also hint that they have more robots in the works for secret upcoming projects. I've got my fingers crossed for more dinosaurs because they did such an amazing job with the walking with dinosaurs. Yeah, I think they hinted it's an alien, though. It did sound like an alien, yeah. Could be cool. Maybe it's a dinosaur-like alien. <laughs> <laughs> or a dinosaur from outer space. Yeah. Speaking of Jurassic World, there's a little bit more in the Jurassic World 2 rumor mill. Specifically, more rumors that there's going to be miniature dinosaurs that might be sold as pets so that we might see more dinosaurs showing up on the mainland. Basically, the only time in any of the Jurassic Park movies 
that we saw dinosaurs not isolated on an island was the end of the second movie where there was the T-Rex rampaging through San Diego. But other than that, it's always been a very isolated, Lost World-esque sort of like dinosaur habitat that people are visiting rather than dinosaurs and people coexisting. So that would be pretty cool. There is also supposed to be more genetically engineered military dinosaurs probably from the dinosaur embryos that B.D. Wong or Henry Wu took off the island at the end of Jurassic World. And if you're into following film crews, I guess, there's supposed to be scouting for locations in Hawaii this November. So I guess they'll be shooting soon. And it's a good thing that they're going to get started on that because they already announced that the release is scheduled for June 22nd, 2018. Just approaching less than two years out now yep takes a lot of time to do those special effects oh yeah yeah i wonder how many of the special effects they're already working on yeah i don't know next at an oakland a's game a group of fans dressed in dinosaur costumes and cheered on the team and there were four of them and there's a video which we'll share on our blog and it and it was posted by sb nation uh, that shows that they're also posing for pictures and dancing Pretty silly. <laughs> yep. And last, New York Mag reported on a British brand selling wearable dinosaur tails. And the magazine says, quote, it can be the most unflattering thing in your closet. End quote. You can attach it to your waist with a clip-on belt. And it doesn't look terribly comfortable. You can't really sit with it on anyway. But it could at least be a less cumbersome dinosaur Halloween costume if you didn't want to put on the full T-Rex suit and dance at an Oakland A's game. It retails for $40 and apparently is already sold out, at least the black version, but the green version is still in stock. And New York Mag also recommends purchasing a raptor costume for your pet if all else fails and the green version is out. Pretty silly. Yeah, it looks actually like a pretty decent costume idea. It's basically just a straight tail that sticks out, maybe, what do you think, three feet behind you? Something yeah, like that? something like that. It would be pretty cumbersome. When I was looking at it, I was thinking I'd be like knocking things off shelves, or if you were at a party or something, you'd be bashing into people constantly trying to turn around in doorways or hallways and things. But it's pretty cool. Pretty cheap for a decent looking dinosaur tail. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. 
Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So now on to our dinosaur of the day, Pachycephalosaurus, which was a request from Cole via Patreon. And the name means thick-headed lizard. The type species is Pachycephalosaurus wyomingensis. Yeah, I'm surprised we hadn't done this one yet, now that we're in episode 93. There's a lot of dinosaurs to cover. (laughs) There are. I would say this is one of the 10 most popular ones, though. Yeah, we haven't covered all the most popular ones yet, either. Hmm. Working on it. (laughs) It lived in the late Cretaceous in North America, in Montana, South Dakota, and Wyoming. It's known originally from a skull with a thick roof. And more complete fossils found after after it was first described. Tylosteus, a dinosaur from Western North America, is considered synonymous with Pachycephalosaurus. The first Pachycephalosaurus fossils may have been found in the early 1850s. So Ferdinand van de Veer Hayden found a bone fragment in either 1859 or 1860 in the Lance Formation in Montana. And Joseph Lady described it in 1872, but thought it was part of an armadillo-like animal or part of the dermal armor of a reptile, and he called this Tylosteus. And then more than 100 years later, Donald Baird re-examined the bone and found it was part of the bone on the back of the skull of Pachycephalosaurus. So usually the name Tylosteus would remain because it was named before Pachycephalosaurus, but Baird petitioned to use Pachycephalosaurus instead of Tylosteus in 1985 because the name Tylosteus hadn't been used in more than 50 years and was based on undiagnostic materials. And I think we've talked about in other episodes these kind of cases where the more popular name ends up prevailing. Yeah, sometimes. Gets contentious, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But if you don't use a a name for like 50 years, it's got a good chance of kind of disappearing. Mm -hmm. So Charles Gilmore named Pachycephalosaurus wyomingensis in 1931 based on a partial skull found in the Lance Formation in Wyoming. And Gilmore assigned it Trudon wyomingensis, but Charles Sternberg corrected this in 1945. It had teeth similar to Trudon, which is why it was classified as Trudon. Barnum Brown and Eric Marin Schleicher found more complete material and changed the name to Pachycephalosaurus in 1943, and they named two species, Grangeri, based on a skull from the Hell Creek Formation in Montana, and Reinheimeri, 
based on a dome from the Lance Formation in South Dakota. As of 1983, these species are considered synonyms of Pachycephalosaurus wyomingensis, though. Then Trudon's tooth was found to match Steinonychosaurus, which is a theropod very different to Pachycephalosaurids. So a new group was established called Pachycephalosauridae in 1974, so they wouldn't be grouped in Trudontidae. And Pachycephalosaurus was the next genus with seniority, which is why it was named Pachycephalosauridae. Two Pachycephalosauria most closely related to Pachycephalosaurus are Draco Rex and Stygimoloch, which, depending on who you ask, may be junior forms of Pachycephalosaurus. If you're feeling lumpy. (laughs) Yes. So Stygimoloch was named in 1983 and Draco Rex was named in 2006. And it's Draco Rex Hogwartsia in honor of Harry Potter. (laughs) In 2007, Jack Horner presented at the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology that Draco Rex and Stygimoloch may have been juvenile Pachycephalosaurus instead of being their own genera because the dome and the horns were not well developed. So Jack Horner and... M.B. Goodwin published their findings in 2009, and they said that Pachycephalosaurus lost its spikes and grew domes as it matured. And more evidence of this came from baby Pachycephalosaurus skulls described in 2016 by David Evans and Mark Goodwin based on two bone beds in the Hell Creek Formation. These babies had knobs on their skulls, which shows that they started off with knobs and then developed domes. So Nick Longridge and colleagues published a study in 2010 that supported the idea that flat-skulled pachycephalosaurs were juveniles. And the original paper by Jack Horner and Mark Goodwin, published in 2009, was called Extreme Cranial Ontogeny in the Upper Cretaceous Dinosaur Pachycephalosaurus in PLOS One, if you want to look it up. In 2006, Robert Sullivan said that the Tylosteus bone may be more like Dracorex than Pachycephalosaurus. Though again, depending on who you ask, Dracorex may be a juvenile Pachycephalosaurus. They lived in the same area and time as T-Rex, and Pachycephalosaurus was either herbivorous or omnivorous. It's unclear what they ate because they had small teeth that could not chew tough vegetation. So maybe they ate leaves, seeds, fruit, insects. But their teeth were sharp and serrated, which would have been good for shredding. They had a pointed beak as well. Pachycephalosaurus was about 15 feet or 4.5 meters long and weighed 990 pounds or 450 kilograms. And was bipedal with long hind limbs and small forelimbs. They had large eye sockets that faced forward, so they had good vision and probably binocular vision. And they probably had a short, thick neck and a heavy, rigid tail. And the neck was S or U-curved. They're known as boneheaded or dome-headed dinosaurs. And they, it's because they had this large bony dome on the top of their skull that was 10 inches or 25 centimeters thick. The back of the dome had bony knobs and the snout had short bony blunt spikes that projected upwards. Scientists at one point thought that pachycephalosaurus heads were kneecaps. This is in the late <laughs> 1800s when not many dinosaur bones had been found. That's pretty funny. Yeah. (laughs) The thick skull domes made scientists think that they fought each other by butting heads, but this is very much disputed now. Yeah, that one goes back and forth pretty much constantly. Yeah. Where someone will say the neck wasn't strong enough or the head couldn't have withstood the impact, and then they'll find some new evidence or do a new study or model, and then it will look like it could have happened. So I don't even know where we're at now on that one. (laughs) Well, so... They used to think that they were like bighorn sheep or musk oxen, 
except they're bipedal, and that the males rammed their heads into each other. But then, as Garrett said, there's a debate now, so it's thought that the skull roof couldn't have sustained the impact of ramming, and it wasn't until recently that scientists found evidence of scars or damage on the skulls. And having an S or U-shaped neck meant that they couldn't directly headbutt. So maybe they fought by flank butting, which is based on the fact that they were pretty wide. Yeah, so they would have like run up next to each other and then kind of tried to knock the other one over or something like that by ramming their head into the side of the other's body. Exactly. But then in 2004, Goodwin and Horner did a study that showed that the bone structure of the dome is spongy inside, so they may have crumbled from too many blows to the head. CT scans of pachycephalosaurs, stegosaurus, and prenocephalprines found that they could withstand head-to-head impacts, though. Joseph Peterson did CT scans, also of a pachycephalosaur skull in 2012, and a study in 2012 showed cranial pathologies that probably happened from fighting. In 2013, Peterson and others found that 22% of all domes in their study had cranial pathologies from osteomyelitis, an infection from trauma that leads to infection of bone tissue. So flat-headed pachycephalosaurids did not have pathologies, and this supports the idea that they fought intraspecies, adult males at least. Also, pachycephalosaurid domes are made of fibrolamellar bone, which has fibroblasts that help heal wounds, and this strongly supports the idea that they did butt heads. The dome may have also been used to attract mates, though. The ladies love a big, bald head. I guess so. (laughs) You can see pachycephalosaurus in Jurassic Park movies. And in The Lost World, it was portrayed as smaller, though, more like stegosaurus size. And pachycephalosaurus is also one of the four dinosaurs you can play as in the game Saurian. Pachy is also an arc survival evolved. The wild ones in the game are usually passive, but they can also charge and headbutt. And then domesticated ones are good for battle of headbutting and they're fast yeah you can use them to knock out other animals i didn't really like using them that much when i was playing arc and then also in the fourth generation pokemon games there's a pokemon called cranidos which is definitely based on pachycephalosaurus it looks pretty similar (laughs) that's funny so pachycephalosaurus is part of the clad pachycephalosauria which are herbivorous ornithischians that lived in the late Cretaceous in North America and Asia. And although pachycephalosauria are bipedal, they are more closely related to ceratopsians than ornithopods. And pachycephalosaurus is the largest known pachycephalosaurid. And our fun fact of the day comes from Articulating Dinosaurs, which is a book that I've been reading by Brian Noble. And it has been really interesting so far. The book recounts the original T-Rex mount in the American Museum of Natural History, which is in a Barney-like upright position with the tail all the way on the ground and stuff like that. And in the book, Noble quotes Henry Fairfield Osborne saying, quote, The upright figure is not well balanced and will be more effective with the feet closer together, the legs straighter, and the body more erect. These reptiles have a series of strong abdominal ribs not shown in the models, the fourth position places the pelvis in an almost impossible position, end quote. So in this case, at least, they intentionally made the mount relatively unrealistic in order to make it look more impressive by standing up higher. And basically, they positioned it so that its head was almost touching the ceiling of the gallery. They couldn't really position it any higher. And when you look at the picture of it, 
you might notice that the gastralia, which are those ribs that alligators and T-Rex have along the bottom of their torso, they're kind of like it protects the rib cage is kind of around the back and the sides, and then they have the gastralia on the front. And the pelvis, like Osborne was saying in that quote, is almost like running into those ribs. So it would be like you would have to get so squished up in order to get into that kind of a position. It's almost like a crazy yoga move or something to try to get into that Hmm. crazy of a spot. So Noble mentions that there were a lot of competing factors in how early dinosaurs were mounted between what the public expected, what we knew scientifically, and then how we kind of interact with dinosaurs. So knowing that T-Rex is this big ferocious killer made them want to mount it as high as possible to make it look even more intimidating, even though they knew maybe it's not the most accurate thing. (laughs) So pretty interesting. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Until next time. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.